This year's budget will be a no-frills budget. We have hard data confirming fundamental unfairness in our tax system. It's not the wealthy that are the problem here, the problem here is the government. Tēnā tātou katoa, no mai whakarongo mai, welcome to One News Inside Parliament. We're coming into the final week of a fairly long but busy recess, and just this week Chris Hipkins ate hot dogs with Anthony Albanese. A groundbreaking report into tax fairness whipped up speculation about more taxes before the PM clarified there would absolutely 100% never ever be more taxes before the election. <laughs> Ko Lillian Hanley thokuingwa ko... I'm Lillian Hanley, the One News political producer, and with me to discuss all this are the most fashionable and delightful of New Zealand political reporting. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, the compliments get better and better. This is great. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Felix Vogue Demaray. <laughs> Kia ora, Kushla Norman. <laughs> Brilliant. To uh, start us off, we should touch on the very quick trip to Brisbane, where Chris Hipkins announced some pretty significant changes for New Zealanders living in Australia in terms of accessing citizenship and the perks that come with that. Jess, this was years in the making, but Hipkins gets the credit. It's a good win for him, right? Absolutely. And it was basically for 20 years a thorn in the side of the relationship. And basically New Zealanders living in Australia were not getting um, the rights that Australians living here were. Granted, there's a whole lot more Australians, uh, there's a whole lot more New Zealanders living in Australia than vice versa, but it did seem unfair. You're over there, you're paying taxes, you're contributing, often you have kids born there. It just seems right that you should be able to have some access to those benefits. So after negotiating and negotiating, lobbying and lobbying for Prime Minister after Prime Minister, finally it's now got across the line. So we knew they were looking at it when Jacinda Ardern um, became Prime Minister and it's really because of Anthony Albanese's uh, change in stance. So he said that he would do it and they decided to do it on Anzac Day, probably to make it slightly more palatable for the Australian domestic market because that mateship message is easy to get across. It was something that I, I, I kind of can't get over the fact that, yeah, Chris Hipkins had, had only been to Australia twice, had seen him twice, and, and now they've got this pretty like significant, very, very big win on the table, years in the making. Some criticism, though, that came out of it was that a huge number of New Zealanders would now move to Australia. Is that something? So with the greatest respect to our Prime Minister, it probably wasn't a whole lot to do with him, but he was the one that got to... Um, sign it off and, and bask in the glory and that's that's life, that's politics uh, but it was really a call that was made by Anthony Albanese it was his announcement to make he would have been another voice adding to that but definitely not the um, the driving factor in terms of Kiwis going over the argument has been that uh, New Zealanders are always going to go over for a whole raft of reasons and the role of the New Zealand government is prote to protect the rights of Kiwis being there and trying to make sure that New Zealand taxpayers here don't have to clean up the mess if they don't get what they need over in Australia. So there might be the fact that some people will want to go over there but uh, I think we'll just have to see there isn't any modelling on it at the moment but I think that is a valid concern and we'll see, but Kiwis who are going to go over there would be going anyway. There's 700,000 over there at the moment, so it's quite a quite a large number of people. Important that they get treated 
Well, fairly, I well, think, is that, yeah, well and fairly, given a fair nudge, I think. And I thought that, I'm not sure which commentator made the point, but uh, somebody was saying that um, with when you're moving, when you're thinking about moving to Australia, you're not thinking about how quickly you can become a citizen and possibly you know, go on the dole or you know take all the social service benefits. You're you're thinking about a whole range of other factors. Um, you know, better salary, a better job, a uh, better lifestyle over there. So weather, I, uh, weather yeah, Brisbane was um, quite significantly different to Wellington, wasn't it, Jess? Um, in terms of the weather, um, yeah. So I, I I think it's maybe potentially a little bit overblown to say that, um, you know, citizenship rights will will have a big influence on people moving over there. You've still got to be there four years too, which exactly, is the other point. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and Jess, I was wondering, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, how much credit Chris Hipkins can take, maybe not that much. I mean, to be fair, he didn't mess it up either, which is to his credit. Um, there's Jacinda Ardern too about her fostering that relationship with Anthony Albanese. You know, um, he clearly had quite a lot of respect for her. But I wondered what you thought about the role of Annette King, the New Zealand High Commissioner in Australia. So she, as New Zealanders will know, is uh, is one of those politicians who just gets things done. Um, she has been the um, High Commission for five or so years and has been doing a lot of lobbying behind the scenes. So she can put it down to one of the things to tick off her list for sure. She has played a part in this, absolutely. And we talked to her on q and It was really interesting to get her take. I think the other factor in all of this too is the Kiwi-friendly caucus. Um, so the likes of Claire O'Neill and the Treasurer over there as well. Jim Chalmers, yeah. Jim Chalmers. They've both got um, New Zealand-dominant um, uh, electorates and they've been real voices for the New Zealand contingent. So I think that's another force and arguably... Um, the most important one. But it has been a policy of the Australian Labor government since 2016. So we knew that if they were to come into power, it would get across the line. I think what's been nice is that it got across the line quite quickly, and that's probably because of that ANZAC deadline. And Chippy, well, the Prime Minister, he seems rather... Koshla Norman. <laughs> Excuse me, slip of the tongue there. Um, they do call uh, Anthony Albanese elbow over there, don't Including they? Including in the press in conference in Brisbane, which sort of shocked all the New Zealand reporters, I think. Well, Chippy, elbow, a bit of a bromance, do you think, going on here? Would they be sort of... I mean, if you didn't feel that bromance, would that... <laughs> Um, the footage of the two of them sharing a sausage sizzle. I, I'm not sure uh, what was going on. But, yeah, I mean, I think that they are cut from the same cloth. They're both on the same side of the political landscape. Um, they're reasonably similar in temperament and age. and Background um, a little bit as well. Background, yeah. And I definitely, I mean, you definitely got the sense that Anthony Albanese set the tone and Chris Hipkins echoed that. Mm. And I think that's just because of... Um, a, he's reasonably new, and B, um, diplomacy and perhaps foreign visits haven't been a real thing of his. And on home turf for Albanese, you know? Yeah, I agree with that too. Mm. So I do think there was a bit of that, but I think there was a clear connection, and behind the scenes we understand they actually do naturally get on well. Now, that doesn't always happen with leaders as, you know, it, it, you can't, you can fake it a little bit, but you can't completely fake it. But they did look as though they got on and well. Chris Hipkins seems to have been really energised by this trip because in yesterday's speech about the budget, he was still going on about Australia. For a good three, four minutes, it was the Kiwi caucus, 
the CER is at this economic relationship, 40 years of that coming up. I mean, he was speaking to a business audience, so he was sort You're of... A, I suppose making the most of that that win, I suppose, and having that mm. good press continue yeah. throughout the week. As a sort of final question on this, perhaps, and for all of you, on that good relationship, I mean, Chris Hipkins also took a trade delegation with him on this trip. Could we expect more exciting announcements or more sort of relationship-linked announcements with Australia and New Zealand, can we expect some more wins perhaps? Yes, because what Prime Ministers do is they open the door um, for um, cross-country pollination, if you like. We had a gala dinner on the Saturday night, which was um, industry in Australia and the New Zealand and some of the New Zealanders as well. Um, they had a programme themselves, but what it does is that official state visit just means that they can open doors. So yes, it's a it's a good trip for those businesses to get on. It might not be something that's instant and straight away, but it builds up relationships. You, If you perhaps have been doing things via Zoom for the last few years, like many of us have, it gives you that face-to-face contact, con- contact. And it's such a key relationship for us, so it's really important that we keep it up. Anything else you'd like to add? No. Australia. No one's moving to Australia anytime soon? No. Well, you know, I and, can and get citizenship I'll keep my years. Dry. Would any of you guys admit that right now? I would be very cross. <laughs> um, moving on, we also had a tax-related speech and a budget-related speech this week. Uh, on Wednesday, David Parker's speech responding to the research done by the IRD into high-wealth individuals and the tax they pay. Kushla, you were at the speech. and Parker kept making the point that this was simply about shining a light. Yeah, well, this report had been two years in the making. They'd never collected this sort of data before, gone sort of deep dive on how much tax are the rich really paying. So the speculation had been, look, surely this would be in the double digits, maybe low double digits, but then it became apparent this is about 9% tax, and that is double, Sorry, that is half what uh, most regular Kiwis pay. And the main reason that's driving this is because um, these people's fortunes are mostly tied up in in property investments, shares, and uh, we don't have a capital gains tax. So they largely go untaxed or or taxed um, to a lesser degree because most of our ta- um, we pay tax on our salaries right now salary and income for the very wealthy equates to just seven percent of uh, their vast sort of wealth how they accumulate that so this was really interesting information but information that the government isn't really jumping on quickly to make any dramatic changes with so David Parker, very interestingly, sort of, yeah, he was quite cagey. He he said, look, I'm not going to go there with what I'd rule in, rule out. But he made some funny funny comments around his, some of his, it was almost some of my best friends are. Are rich. He he said some of my best friends are very (laughs) successful and look, I'm not going after them. I like them very much. I like them very much and they, yeah. But his point was he'd shared with his best friends that um, the average the average wealth of these top um, 311 New Zealand families is 276 million. And uh, Parker and his 
wealthy, successful mates thought that that was quite surprising. Mm. I just now have an image of David Parker um, sitting around um, having a glass of something nice with his um, rich friends. So thank you for that image (laughs) for us. You do feel a bit sorry for David Parker that he was the one outselling this with the knowledge that probably not a whole lot of it is going to be picked up. And you do get the feeling that he'd like to see um, a capital gains tax. Although some, not on the family home. Absolutely not. He And it's that also, that's clear. the thing, that's mm. why it's so tricky and politically fraught, because to have a tax that isn't on the family home, um, but is say on rental properties or second homes, you then get into the situation of a family batch that perhaps has been passed down, or you get on to, um, if you inherit a home, there's all sorts of complexities. It's actually not simple to do a capital gains tax, but I do think we've seen um, the the Prime Minister, so because of the sequencing of this, we had um, David Parker coming out and selling his tax report, and then the next day the Prime Minister giving a speech, a pre-budget speech, and before he could do anything else he had to say, OK, hang on a second, guys, um, here's an announcement. I'm not going to do a capital gains tax, a wealth tax, or a cyclone levy. So for this budget. For that's this the, budget, That's the yes. very cute caveat the yeah. for this budget. So what does that mean for the election is something entirely different. Now, would Chris Hipkins have the guts, the courage, does he have the belief to put to the electorate the option of a capital gains tax, do you I, think? I think and you I, could, I, sorry, you, you could also argue that uh, it takes guts and courage to be a really practical politician as well, though, because... I mean, you could argue that the the Labour government ideologically, or Labour Party people ideologically, completely believe in a capital gains tax. Some of them might even believe in a wealth tax as well. But they are a centre-left party. They want to get into government. They want to get re-elected. And as we have seen, um, especially in Jacinda Ardern's era, capital gains tax is just political suicide. It will not work. Um, there's not an appetite for it at the moment. Just, and I think it depends how much political capital they have um, heading into the election. Exactly. And that's why the door has been left ajar, because it was very calculated. In 2019, Jacinda Ardern came out and said, look, I support the idea of a capital gains tax, but under my watch, uh, if I am leader of the Labour Party, there will not be a capital gains tax as part of our policy. So she said, this is this is the line in the sand that I'm drawing. Chris Hipkins has come in and said, mm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave the door ajar and I'm going to see what happens. Yep, I've rolled it out to the um, budget so that it's not going to be a distraction uh, in the lead up to the budget. But he's he's it's an absolutely politically calculated move. So I do think it's interesting. I do think I just want to go back to the tax for a moment in the sense that what and again it's been a couple of years in the making. David Parker signalled this years ago, and now he's got it. He's sort of got the evidence that he needs to say, "Yep, something's not working." as well as it could be. It's not some, fair. Some, it's not fair. He, he and, yeah, and he admits and that it's fundamentally unfair. Fundamentally yeah. agrees with that. And others this week weren't able to say that. It was quite well, an interesting stand-up with Christopher Luxon. He was asked multiple times if he thought the tax system was fair and he sort of was he basically it a bit, choosing not to answer that and actually focused on saying that you know, in terms of their own messaging, it's not the wealthy's fault that the economy is the way that it is. It's the government's fault and that should be the focus. And what's a bit tricky is that neither party has actually announced its its tax Tax, policy. Exactly. And so we do have 
I suppose, less than six months to the election, but plenty of time to expect those policy <laughs> announcements. And just a plug for the website, because we do have a great um, clipped together uh, video from that press conference with Chris Luxon, where he was asked repeatedly whether he thought the tax system was fair. Um, and it's a completely compelling watch. So just please go and watch that. It's, it's it's great, just as great. an interest, in yeah, terms of in terms of what comes out of this report and the conversations that New Zealanders will be having, I would say that it's quite likely that, that people will be thinking, wow, it's not fair, and they may be more open to having that discussion. And that is the point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that is the point. But interestingly, as you say, with Chris Hipkins having his speech the day after, so very, very immediately rolling out the, the possible concern of more taxes as Kiwis are feeling the pinch and things are very difficult. But others, you, I mean, you in your coverage of, of the budget speech, Jess, you had Cameron Bagri, who was an economist, and even he was making the point that actually some of the big ticket items that we are going to have to deal with are going to require a lot of revenue and that will also require very strong leadership in terms of having the conversation as to how to pay for it. It's going to have to happen and at the moment he sees politicians as kicking the can down the road. And some of those big ticket items are things like our ageing population responding to the effects of climate change, some of those big things that we're going to need to um, have some coins in our pocket for. And I think that's the whole debate there. I mean, with the economy, there are certain levers you can pull. Um, one of them is creating more revenue around tax. Um, I think there's going to be a few bits and pieces like with the um, fuel excise that's set to come off, that's going to give us a bit more money back in our pockets. But the other thing that was quite interesting is, and he only really touched on it, and he said um, it's not going to happen right away, but the tax thresholds. So I, he said he's very open to the idea of adjusting the tax thresholds. So perhaps having a higher um, level at the moment, it's at 15,000. Um, so maybe lifting that up a bit so it gives everyone a little bit of a boost. Um, maybe bring it more in line with what National's suggesting um, with that first tax bracket um, at 47 at the moment, so maybe lifting it into the early 50s. So we might see some kind of announcement around that um, ahead of the election and perhaps coming in 1st of April, something like that, so that Kiwis going into the election know that they might be getting an extra $15, $20, something like that. Um, and it's not a tax, um, tax, what's the word I'm looking for? Break or cut? cut. Tax cut, cut is yeah. the word I'm looking for. Wow. Um, uh, it's not a tax cut, but it would be more cash in, in your and sort I, of relief. And I suspect yeah. that would be highly targeted, uh, that squeezed middle. Um, you know, that's the, the ones that, um, you know, they're really going for to target the, the government is. And interesting you make the point then in terms of the similarity to Nationals policy. And Felix, you had some thoughts around this. There is going to be possibly a lot more similarities between these two major parties as we head into the election. It really is going to be a fight for the centre. Uh, Labour's internal polling is showing both Labour and National neck neck, basically. So it's really going to be how they capture the middle, but also then how they distinguish themselves from each other. So how do you do that? How do you do both at the same time? Yeah, I think it really is. Um, what he was saying yesterday did seem to be quite similar to that same song sheet, I guess, that Hipkins has been singing from, um, to use a cliche, um, uh, since he came into office, which is really going for that centre uh, vote, trying to claw back those um, those voters that might be heading back to to national. But um, Jess and I were talking yesterday, and 
about that and whether we might see some of you know Chris Hipkins true red coming out what do you think about that Jess will we see a bit more of labourness coming from Chris Hipkins well it was interesting I think he really played up in that speech yesterday the every man um, and I can't think of a better phrase to use for that but he said um, oh look occasionally uh, you know I was asked if I still do my grocery shopping um, myself and he was like yep sometimes I still I mean sometimes sometimes I still do go to um, my local pack and save in the hut he said and so on that, I mean, just the fact that um, he's, whether that happens or not, um, the fact that he's playing that up, um, I mean, I'm sure he has done one or two shops since becoming Prime Minister for him to be able to say that, but I don't think he's um, doing a regular Sunday night um, grocery haul um, with the masses down at the Pack and Save. But I think that that aspect, the fact that he's wanting to play that up is interesting just to kind of show that he's in touch and that he's not, uh, I, I think, you know, Christopher Luxon's backstory is obviously a very successful businessman and chief executive. And I think we're going to see Chris Hipkins trying to sell himself not as a career politician, but as a man um, who's in touch with the people. Mm. And we'll boy see from if the that... Big fit in. The boy from the hut. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're going to hear that a lot. But the boy from the hut who understands business because uh, <laughs> and that's that going for that centre vote again right so um, I thought it was really interesting too after that speech up in Auckland yesterday um, the um, ch- uh, chair I think it was chairman of the EMA Andrew was his first name, can't remember his last name, sorry. But he said, look, business will be will be relieved that this is a no-frills budget um, and we're happy to hear that um, the government is on the same page as us. And I just think things like that will be exactly what Chris Hipkins is wanting to hear from business. And I think in that speech yesterday, apart from the shops at Pack and Save, I heard more blue notes than red notes. You heard about immigration increasing. It's at, what, a net gain of 50 50,000 now and potentially the projections are for it to be hitting real highs. 100. Yeah. 100,000, 100, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what were the if other... If it continues at the same rate, I think. And then was, government yeah. spending uh, decreasing, talking about that now, um, heading down to the low 30% of GDP. So he's stealing away all of National Nationals' firepower and attack lines on this government that's addicted to spending. He can sort of now point to the data and where it's heading. And this emphasis as well on skills, infrastructure and science. You go, Jess. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to point out, I just wanted to make a note that the, the, the decrease in government spending, some people have pointed out that obviously a large chunk of that was COVID, and True. so that drops off, but regular government spending is possibly actually increasing. So so there's sort of that to be mindful Depends of. Depends who you ask then. But exactly. <laughs> but, but I think I absolutely agree that they're, they're taking away some of that firepower and what Nationals messaging has been consistently for a while now gives them a bit of leeway. But I do think adding to that, that one of the things we heard Nicola Willis saying yesterday was, yes, but what are Labor going to do on taxes? And I think until both sides can answer that question by unveiling their policy, that question will still hang there because, you know, we haven't had definitive calls. Yep, we've had it for the budget, but not um, for the rest of the time. So I do think that we are going to hear that message Um, from National, they're going to be able to capitalise on that a bit in the meantime, for sure. I feel like we have got, um, you know, a steady flow just recently of policy from the Nats, though. Probably, 
arguably, more than Labour. Um, so uh, quite interesting yesterday uh, announcement there from the National Party, um, their housing spokesperson, Chris Bishop. Uh, here it's a it's sort of part of their housing policy. I think I don't think it's the entirety of their housing policy, but they announced that they would uh, get rid of. Uh, so I've got to remember the phrasing around this because it's a double negative. So reverse labor well, labor took away no cause terminations for tenancies. The National Party say we're going to bring that back because what it's actually having the effect of is it's deterring uh, landlords from renting properties out because it's made it really difficult to get rid of tenants. I mean, makes sense, right? Um, and so how it actually works is um, it's it's uh, there are very specific stated reasons that you have to give if you're going to terminate a tenancy under the law now um, due to a change from Labor. So um, one of those things is, um, you know, if you're going to sell the house or you're going to move into the house or a family member is, um, or you're going to do major renovations. I think there's a few other ones. Um, and the National Party also announced that they would um, get rid of the uh, new rule that Labor brought in, which means that uh, a fixed tenancy rolls on to a periodic tenancy. Again, um, the reason for that is that it makes it really hard to kick people out of a house. And I thought the interesting point about that, because um, I talked to um, the vice president of the New Zealand Property uh Investors Federation, um, and he said it is true that um, say you own a holiday home in Queenstown or Taupo or somewhere like that, um, and you want to rent it out for part of the year, say eleven months of the year. People in that situation are tending to leave those properties empty because if they put tenants in, they can't kick them out after eleven months because of the settings at the moment. So yeah, the argument there from the Nats is it's a, um, it's a deterrent to people actually renting places out. And if you don't, um, if you don't, and you sit, you might sell your property, and that decreases supply, and the decrease in supply means that rental prices go up. Um, on the other side, uh, the Labor Party came out pretty swinging. So did the did the Greens to some extent, basically saying, look, that these are um, rules that were put in place to give um, tenants security of tenure, and um, you know, it's uh, I think the Greens said that would be stripping those people of their rights. So, yeah, a really interesting to, one for To add to that too, I think, because Chris, Bis- Chris Bishop was on um, Breakfast This Morning with Renters United, Geordie Rogers, I believe, and he made the point, because National was claiming that there's been a decrease in supply in the rental market, and Geordie's saying that that's actually incorrect, and looking at the bond data that MB provides freely, that that basically disputes what Chris Bishop was saying. So, I mean, it, it is an interesting issue because it's certainly something that I think national supporters, again, would support. But this is an area where both Labor and the Greens have tried to do quite a bit of work and tipping, I suppose, that balance or the power balance towards the renter rather than the landlord. Mm. And it is a fine balance because you you do... In a way, you do want to make it easy to be a landlord. I think that was the phrase that the Nats used, um, because if you are, you know, if you're a, a people with money can buy houses that can then be rented. It is true, I guess, that if supply is is great, then that those um, rent prices are going to come down. Um, on the other hand, yeah, of course, um, tenants should should feel like they can live in a place for a long time if they want to. But they also don't own the house. So that's the thing. That's the difference. That's the privilege, I guess, of home ownership is that's why it's so desirable is because you do have security of tenure. But, of course, home ownership is not that accessible in New Zealand. Indeed. But a cornerstone of our country, according to David Parker. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Um, I guess just to, to perhaps finish up before we get to pits and peaks, I thought I'd just f- throw forward to next week. It's a sitting week, finally, which I am Woo! excited about. Um, we are also, I thought to flag too that the Greens investigation into Elizabeth Kirikiri is currently still underway and there were some attempts to um, delay the voting for the final list ranking until that investigation came out and that that attempt has failed um, but it's also been made clear that there's kind of no time there's no indication as to when this might actually finish and also the people in charge are saying that they can't say what they are going to show in terms of the report because both parties have to agree at you know what what they're going to publicize so so it's very unclear at this point in time what we're going to get out of this investigation and I think I'd say that the press gallery is kind of hanging out for everybody to return, for politicians to return next week. And I think because of the way the Greens do things by consensus and with a lot of involvement from the party, that just adds another layer of complexity to that too. And Um, more likelihood of leaking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Shall we do... Pits and peaks? Pits and peaks. Um, My um, peak this week was the photo op with um, Anthony Albanese and with uh, Christopher Hipkins eating a sausage sizzle. Mine is a very shallow television um, peak and it gave me joy. Um, Another peak as well, it was quite special going to um, the um, Anzac Day Memorial in Brisbane. Um, I still am always moved. Um, I consider myself... um, not not a hugely soft person, but I find the last post and being gathered um, with people quite a moving experience wherever you are, whatever happens. And um, it was it was cool to be able to experience that um, in another place and just marks that special relationship. So those were my peaks this week. Yeah, especially watching those two, um, you know, the Kiwi and Australian Prime Minister standing side by side in that Shoulder moment. to shoulder. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, my pit this week is uh, the the tax, the IAD tax report. No shade to those um those, uh, I'm sure they won't mind me calling them boffins, those tax boffins at the IRD, they've done a very good job on that report, clearly. But um, I think it seems a little bit weird to put a whole lot of effort into assessing whether the tax system is fair and then do virtually nothing about it. <laughs> Quite strange. Um, and uh, peaks, um, a little bit similar to yours, Jess. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, we were having that, that photo op moment of, of Chris Hipkins and Anthony Albanese with their hot dogs. But what I really loved about it was how... Anthony Albanese was absolutely savagely roasting the journalists who were like asking, you know, take come on, take a take a bite of your sausage or whatever. And he was, um, you know, sort of taking the uh, proverbial out of us, which and I loved. To be honest, if he's going to have a crack, but looking at the eyeline of you for the bite of the. He can say whatever he likes. That it's means looking about... towards the camera for the uninitiated, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, sorry. So you. We're in a in a semicircle around them, so you kind of need them to look at you. So it does, um, you know. You got the money shot. Yeah, we got the money he shot. Said, he said something like, "Oh, you came all this way just for this pick," and it was just, yeah. it was great. It was fantastic. Well, um, I've got a pit. It would be that. Well, 
gosh damn it, the government's stolen the naming of the budget of, of us media because <laughs> they've already named it the no frills budget. So they've sort of stolen our thunder a bit. Normally around when the budget comes out, well, the opposition tends to give it a, a nickname. I think last year was the fudget budget or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, there's been the mother of all budgets. There's been lots of famous budgets. And the media normally have a bit of a, a role in in naming that, but look, look, we're stuck with no frills. But I mean, we've moved around. We might around. not be. Let's see. Yeah, let's, let's see. see. We, uh, I am amused that we've gone from bread and butter to back to basics. Now we're on to the no frills. I'm just quite amused. I wonder what the communication strategists are coming up with and where they're getting the inspiration from. Is it the aisle of uh, pack and save, perhaps, <laughs> and home brand? The bread and butter just made me feel hungry, though. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, actually, um, my peak is going back to sitting next week. I have missed Parliament um, yeah. uh, in or in session, I suppose. Aww, but <laughs> and on another nerd note, I just were, on your on your pit, Felix. I would say that my peak is actually this release of uh, this report from IRD, simply because it's an injection into our sort of political discourse with some facts and some some research some you know proper information and and yeah evidence and and also just at how excited David Parker was for it in the sense that you know this is this is foundational kind of research we've never had this data before and now we do and I think as an aside we've had quite an animated discussion um largely spent on tax policy and we should reflect on our life choices (laughs) (laughs) well done everybody this was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Do you have a burning political question? Want to hear more from us on a particular topic? Send your feedback to insideparliament at tvnz.co.nz. Head to, excuse me, head to onenews.co.nz for more insight and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. All the links are in the details for this episode on your app. And if you like this episode, maybe tell a friend to listen. One News Inside Parliament is available on all good and even average podcasting apps where you can also leave us a rating. To finish off, a big thank you to our recording team, Brian and Lisa. Hey Theodore Wiki, catch you all next week. <laughs>